Hi, everybody. I was trying to get our level set in physics back here, sniff, sniff, sniffing, but welcome to Will This Be On The Test? I'm Maddie. And I'm Austin. And you're here today to learn about some things that we should have learned in school but didn't learn, didn't learn fully, or didn't learn correctly. And I'm already off script because of physics distracting me. It's like, you've got to learn to deal with these distractions. What did you learn at... Theater I camp. know, I have a major in theater, and I can't hand, but then again, he's behind me. <laughs> like, it's like having a dog. He is a lot like having a dog. And anyway, uh, and sometimes we talk about the uh, various guest spots we've been doing on other podcasts. Yeah, we're famous. We are very famous in a very narrow view. <laughs> <laughs> um, so... We just had the very, very exciting opportunity to record with our friends over at Mythistory, M-Y-T-H-S-T-O-R-I-E. So Myth Story, that story with an I-E. Uh, we're going to be talking about one of our favorite cryptids over there. Yeah. Um, and that is on Wednesday, the 18th of August. It's, this guy's been making the rounds on social media. Have you been seeing him in your groups? Yes. Yeah. All of a sudden, like, we talked about, we're going to be talking about squ the squonk. Squonk. And all of a sudden, all of my Facebook groups are like, squonk, squonk. Who's heard about the squonk? Well, you know who's heard about the squonk? We have. We heard about the squonk. Uh, actually, while he was cool, because the squonk has always been cool. The squonk is, has always been, and always will be cool, and we will be talking about him on Myth Story, Story with an I-E, on Wednesday, August 18th. And then, if you just can't get enough of me, and you want to know what my first name is, you can listen to me on the podcast Story Shout on August 25th in which we talk about things we suck at, and I'm going to talk about how much I suck at sleeping. So you'll get to hear all about that, learn my real name, hear about the uh, terrifying nightmares I have. It'll be fun. It's a good time. I'm really excited to learn about what your first name is. It's been 15 years, and I still don't know. It's cute that you think we've been we've known each other for 15 years when we met in high school. Were you 20 in high school and just didn't tell me? <laughs> oh my god, that's right. Oh no. Oh no, time has passed and I have lost track of it. All right, uh, behind us right now are our two cats that do not get along. So hopefully they'll be chill during this. I think it's the dulcet sounds of our podcast that are calming the savage beasts. Perhaps, perhaps. Well, we had a crazy weekend this weekend, and it's actually relevant to what we're talking about today. Which yeah. Is what I'm talking about. And mine is kind of too, maybe. But this weekend, you know, we were already planning on being pretty busy and then just like everything happened all at once. But yesterday was my grandma's 88th birthday or, you know, yeah, she, she, she knows how old she is. Yeah. Uh, and she's awesome. My grandma is the coolest person ever. And if you had the opportunity to ever meet her, you would be like one of the luckiest people on earth. Even Austin can attest to that. The first time they met. She walked up to him, shoved an ice cream sandwich in his mouth, and told him he looked hungry. <laughs> and that was how they met. That's a great way to introduce yourself. Mm -hmm. I feel like next time you got a job interview, do that. <laughs> you're set. PSA, do not listen to... Actually, wait, no. You're going to want to listen to me for some job advice later. Don't listen to him for some job advice. Always listen to me for job advice. <coughs> oh, good. Now he's mm. coughing. Um, but then my other grandparents came in town. We haven't seen them in almost two years. And so it was just, it was a really nice day. But 
the day before is what was relevant to what we're talking about today. Uh, so do you have anything you want to add or can we just jump in? I ha- we went to see some community theater and it was amazing. Like, yeah, and that's what that's what I'm going to talk about that that relates. Yeah. And I think you could go first I think too. I, I think I do. So let's just jump into it. So on Saturday, we decided that we were going to go to our outdoor theater in the park here. And the, the last time we went together was a production, a community theater production of Cats back in the early 2000s. To this day, we talk about that production, but not in the way they had hoped. Now, was it better or worse than the movie? Better. Yeah, I think so too. But on Saturday, this weekend, we went to see Newsies. And I've seen the filmed version of the stage production several times because I used to teach it. Austin had never seen it at all. It was phenomenal. Oh my this god, is a I loved it. Community theater production. And you could tell they had like poured all of their resources into it. They had like the big metal moving stage. They had uh where did all these boys that can sing and tap dance come from? Yeah. But also I said to Austin as we were leaving, I'm like, I think this says a lot about how much things have changed since we were the age that most of these guys in the show probably were, because back then you know, being a boy who sang and tap danced meant that you were into other guys. Because I'm not going to use the word that people used back oh then. Oh my god! Then it's like, like, come on, man! Why don't you just go play, you know, football or do wrestling? You know? Yeah, and nowadays, like, this was a large cast, mostly male. They didn't have any girl newsies in it, like, which usually they fill out with some girls who tap dance. They didn't do that, as far as I could tell. And they were so good. I'm like, did you bring in ringers? You brought in ringers. Actually, I did work on a show out there once, many, many years ago, where they brought in a ringer. She was a professional union actress who they got some special permission for, but I don't, I'd be surprised. Um, so we have some a lot of talented young men and guys... Like, there is nothing wrong with singing and dancing. And I will tell you right now that if you are a guy who is into girls, girls love guys who can sing and dance. It's just a fact. Yeah. And luckily, I can do neither. So I lucked out with (laughs) I remember my first big crush, like first, like real, you know, the kind of crush that you really have. Um, You know, you know what I'm talking about? He could he could sing and he could play an instrument and he had a deep like baritone voice, which he was 13. So that was unusual. I was 13 too, guys. Don't worry. <laughs> um, and it was all for me, it was always drummers who could sing. That was always my thing. Austin is not a drummer. He doesn't have a terrible voice. Yeah, I've never been trained in any way in singing. But so we watched Newsies this weekend. And with the exception of the demon child that almost ruined the show for us several times, it was great. I'm not going to talk about her, but other than to say, if your kid can't handle being at a play, leave. Or if you're in an outdoor play where there's like a big play area where you can just let useless, useless, restless children, (laughs) like, you know, roam free. Yeah, she could have been running around this whole area. You know, like there was a little two-year-old sitting near us who was so cute. And she was like dancing along, which was not distracting. But throwing shit in the air and walking like a horror movie monster, a little bit distracting. And just flopping around on the sidewalk where people are trying to walk. Yeah, I was starting to feel responsible for the well-being of everybody going back. Anyway, um, so the next day, though, I made Austin watch the uh, taped production of Newsy starring Jeremy Jordan, which was also excellent. Yeah, I was... In, enraptured by this movie. It's like, ooh. Yeah, he, a couple of times he went, wait, what? What? I feel like if he'd been sitting next to me, I would have been getting the arm slaps, but he was not sitting next to me. Yeah. So all that to say, I am talking about the Newsboy strike of 1899 today. Ooh. 
I am not doing a compare and contrast between the musical and the reality. I might do that another time as kind of a separate thing, but I know not everybody out there has watched Newsies, um, or maybe you've seen the 1992 version with Christian Bale, because Christian Bale is a dancer, believe it or not. He's also in a movie called Swing Kids, and he's Batman. I hated him as Batman. (laughs) And then we lost half our listenership. But I gather the 1992 one is also different from this. I just haven't seen it. So I'm actually just going to be talking largely about the Newsboy Strike with a couple of references to the musical where it makes the most sense, but mostly just about the strike. So if you watch old shows and especially cartoons, chances are you've seen the whole thing with the young boys out on the corner selling you newspapers yelling extra, extra, read all about it. That whole thing. Uh, That was a real job that was held by teenagers and younger and older and every gender. We call them newsboys kind of by default because most of them were male and preteen and teenagers. However, there were boys, there were girls. They ranged from age five to elderly. Elderly? Elderly. Oh my God. There were, you know, you know, if you go to college and you see those old like Gideon Bible guys, have you noticed they're all wearing newsboy caps? Kind of makes you wonder. You think these are just the newsboys from way back then? I feel like these are like forever newsboys hanging out these Gideon Bibles on the corners of your campus. I want to be forever newsboy. They were uh, also called newsboys, newspaper hawkers, or just newsies. Now, we know the job has always kind of existed in the U.S. ever since there were newspapers that needed to be able to deliver them. And so we always had, you know, the people who would subscribe, the people who'd go pick them up. Um, obviously we have to give credit to somebody who doesn't deserve it. In this case, as usual, it is Benjamin Franklin. (laughs) Actually, not usual. Thomas Jefferson usually gets it, but followed by Ben Franklin. Because Ben Franklin, I feel like, would think it was funny to take credit for stuff that didn't make sense. And for him, it's because he, I have a typo on here. It says he eloped director his brother's newspaper. I'm supposed to say helped deliver his brother's newspaper. (laughs) I mean... Benjamin, I feel like Benjamin Franklin would, would elope with his brother something. But the job itself, meaning Newsy, didn't really take off until 1833, when the New York Sun began to hire people to do this job. They were actually looking for adults. And up until then, mail had been delivered um, or had been picked up from the office directly. The Sun was like, what if we just get some unemployed people, because it is 1833, lots of unemployed people, to just stand outside and try to get people to buy it. Then that way people will impulse buy was the goal. So they are planning on unemployed adults. That's not who showed up. The first ever actual newsboy was named Bernard Flaherty, who later went on to become known as Barney Williams. Uh, He's not really the point today, but Barney Williams was a well-known actor and comedian uh, on the vaudeville circuit. He did start off as a blackface minstrel, but he did eventually move away from that and continued to find success while not doing blackface. (laughs) But that kind of goes to show, too, the kind of talent you needed to be to be a successful newsboy. You needed to have these improv and performance skills to really draw people in and make them want to buy from you. He was the only one working the gig for a while, but then later others joined and they either had like their own corners or they started to create paper routes. Now, when we see these newsboys and sometimes newsgirls portrayed in movies and whatever, it's cute and it's romanticized and it looks like this fun thing. I even read a book about child labor that referred to it as fun. A book about child labor. I did not include that in my show notes because fuck it. Um, I also didn't take anything from it. So (laughs) it's not like I'm just plagiarizing. But it wasn't really the case. 
that it was fun. Like, yeah, they would pick out the craziest headlines from that day and yell them out to get people to sell them. Sometimes they'd make up their own headlines, whatever it took. Like, you know, there's some creativity to it. But we all, these are also children working. Now, when you watch these cartoons and stuff, you probably think, okay, they're doing this before school. They go and do it after school and they get to go home and go to dinner. No, 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 no. A lot of them were homeless. Um, in the late 1830s or 1870s, uh, about 10,000 homeless kids lived in New York and not a small percentage of them were newsies. That's how they survived. There were also times in history where people ran basically homeless shelters just for newsies. These kids would sleep outside of the newspapers they worked for so that they could get in first and get out first. Now, they eventually were some reforms where it was things like, okay, these news, these news hawkers, they need to go to school for three months out of the year and stuff like that. You know, progressive stuff. Wow. Three entire months of mm -hmm. the year? Uh, then we have to keep in mind some of them really were as young as five. We had five-year-olds out standing in major cities by themselves trying to sell stuff and not get robbed. We had elderly people doing this exact same thing. I'm trying to imagine a five-year-old doing this, and I can't see... I have, I have yet to meet a five-year-old with the focus necessary to actually manage to do something like this. I could name several right now, but I don't think my friends want their kids named on the podcast. No, I, okay, I think maybe your friend's kids, but you've got smarter friends. The blonde ones. Yes. They, I think that... In, in different ways, all three of them would be very successful newsies. Yeah. Just, just pl please, um, if they do listen to this, uh, don't do it. Yeah, child labor is bad. Child labor is bad. Theater is good. If you want to be in a production of newsies, go do that. Actually, I bet one of them could play that Les character really well. Because, you know, Les is a boy, but gir girls play little boys all the time. Yeah. And I feel like, really, all three of them could play pretty good pretty good Les. Yes. Um, Except for one, it'd have to play Crutchy right now. So the term newsy has kind of covered everything from people who hawked them on street corners to those paper routes, but I'm focusing on the ones who had the, the uh, on the news on the corners in the late 1800s because there were times too where it, well it was just the paper boy in the morning who did it, but they were still getting screwed, which I'll talk about as well. Here's the other thing: they were not at any point employed by the newspapers. What? Well, at least back then, they were middlemen. They would go in. They were considered freelancers, for lack of a better word. They would buy the newspapers. They would. It was uh, 50 cents for 100 papers. They would go out. They would sell the papers. If they didn't sell some of the papers, the papers did not get bought back from them. They just lost that money at the end of the day. At the end of the day, they'd have to go back in. They would split the profits from the day, usually 50-50. And they ate the cost of whatever didn't sell. So imagine like being a pizza delivery person, except nobody actually ordered the pizza first. And it's your job just to go out and get somebody to buy the pizza. Because unlike most products, like even even on MLMs where you buy your stuff up front, that stuff typically doesn't have an expiration date. And that expiration date is certainly not within a couple hours. That's what Ooh. newspapers are. Wow. Yeah. I will say if there was like pizza being sold like that. Oh, man. We're going to New York in a couple months and Austin is in for a treat. I cannot wait for just... Pizza everywhere. There's pizza everywhere. There's hot dogs. There's pretzels. Just a floppy slice of pizza that you have to fold up. It's going to be great. Austin's never really done New York. I'm very excited. So they would work long days from the moment the paper was ready for them until late into the night, sometimes into the next morning. Ah. Because they didn't want to have any of these papers left. Now, frequently, the morning edition was a subscription-based one for the most part because people would get it at home to read in the morning or they'd get it on their way to work. 
But the afternoon and evening editions were what these guys were doing. So they would sometimes do the morning, but they could be working 18, 20 hours a day, no problem, and making an average of about 30 cents a day. 30 cents per day would be about $9.82 now. That's like you're making a Chipotle burrito without guacamole a day. Yes. And if you lived in a major city or something even that resembled a major city, you had Newsies. Kansas City had one of the Newsy strikes that came later. Ooh. There were several newsboy strikes leading up to the 1889 one, including several other that's others that same year, because believe it or not, we didn't treat them too well. What? You mean the orphans we were giving nine do- 30 cents a day were like for working 20 hours were having a tough time? Mm-hmm. The 1898 Spanish-American War had made newspaper scale- sales skyrocket, so the Newsies 100 paper bundles went from 50 to 60 cents. But that was offset by the increased sales because people wanted to know what was going on with the news. So going from 50 to 60 cents wasn't a big deal because they were selling so many more newspapers that it didn't matter. Then after the war, almost all newspapers went back down to 50 cents for 100 papers because they're like, okay, we're not able to bring this back. It's just not right to keep these prices up. Except for the Evening World and the New York Evening Journal. So on about July 18th, a group of newsies in Long Island City knocked over a distribution wagon for the New York Journal and struck against jo- Joseph Pulitzer's World and William Randolph Hearst's Journal. The Hearst's like to show up a lot for me. Let's talk about these two. Yeah. Pulitzer and Hearst. And yes, this is Pulitzer of the Pulitzer Prize and Hearst of Patty Hearst. This was her great grandfather or her grandfather. Joseph Pulitzer was a Hungarian immigrant who came to the U.S. because military... I'd never heard about this. This is bonkers. You ready? Ready. Military recruiters in Massachusetts were looking for people to come fight for the Union and were paying for their passage from other countries, like Hungary, to come fight on the Union side of the war. Get out of town. I didn't know they did that. Yeah, like, he didn't... And a lot of them didn't speak English. We had, like, entirely German-speaking troops because they came, they brought them in from, like, fucking Germany and the surrounding areas to come fight for the Union. So which goes back to, I bet the South probably didn't do that. No, especially because we had like that big old blockade stopping them from doing that. Yeah. So we were bringing in foreign troops and being like, hey, we'll pay for your passage from your country if you come and fight for us. Now, here's some irony, because I'm pretty sure, like, just like I'm usually pretty sure everything is Dadaism and Austin's lying to me. Pretty sure this is irony. He got to Massachusetts, Joseph Pulitzer did. And he found out that the recruiters got most of the enlistment money he thought he was supposed to get. <laughs> he said, that's not fair and refused to work for them. <laughs> and he went to New York to go work for the union in a different place where he would get the enlistment money he was due. <laughs> Remember the thing he was doing to the newsies just a few decades later. Oh. But since this episode isn't about him, suffice it to say, he later became involved in politics and journalism, moved back to New York in 1883 to buy the New York World. The world grew at a ridiculous speed under his management, and he even brought Nellie Bly, who I'm going to talk about in another episode, um, one of the earliest female investigative journalists in the country, on board. She's who the character of Catherine is based on in Newsies. Nellie Bly was not Pulitzer's daughter. Pulitzer's daughter, Catherine, died at the age of two, so I think it's kind of icky. Maybe this was a ghost, that entire movie. Yeah, Austin has this theory that the entire movie, Calvin is just a ghost, which if you look at it that way, it's pretty funny. Yeah, or horrifying, because it's a ghost. 
I mean, something supernatural had to be happening on our community theater production for her to be that good. She was phenomenal. Like, we're sitting there like, where the hell have these people been? Granted, you know, we haven't gone to a lot of community theater in the last few years. No. Especially not the last year, but... So anyway, his paper was pretty political, and he claimed, while he claimed that the paper was for the people, not the wealthy, he believed that the working man only saved enough money to go party and take his kids to Coney Island and things like that. Well, the general belief was that people work so that they don't die. Wow. It's like, are we sure that this just isn't Jeff Bezos? Like Pulitzer just shaved his head because people would, so people wouldn't recognize him? And he's just Jeff Bezos now? Oh, please, Jeff Bezos could not grow the epic beard situation that Pulitzer have. No, I guess Pulitzer didn't have the lazy eye either. So and in my think... head, Pulitzer had a... Hold on, I gotta double check this. I think he had a monocle. Oh, maybe he did have the lazy eye. You know, for the, for the longest time? Oh, uh, no, he just had tiny glasses that didn't, that, like, stuck over onto his nose. Which were actually brilliant. They used to have glasses that didn't go over your ears. They just clipped onto your nose. That would feel like, I feel like that would hurt your nose. Way less likely to fall off. Yeah. And then also you can see there's a little chain that attaches them to your clothes just in case they do fall off. So if I get too, if I am too shocked by seeing a woman's ankle, my my glasses will not fall to the ground. Well, I'll tell you, Pulitzer had no problem with women's ankles. <gasps> really? Yeah. I mean, and not just because he had seven kids. But <laughs> enter William Randolph Hearst and his New York Journal, which was the world's biggest rival. And Hearst was all about yellow journalism, which meant Pulitzer became about yellow journalism. Now, yellow journalism is basically sex, drugs, and rock and roll. Yeah. It's making shit up half the time or, or embellishing what is actually happening. So it's like, it's the Bat Boy type stories. Yes. Yes. It's Bat Boy. Not quite. There is legitimate news, but there also, you can occasionally find something in the Inquirer, too, that is legitimate, legitimate news. news. Uh, so after... Buying the journal, William Randolph Hearst was like, okay, what now? I know. I'm going to steal Pulitzer's top three editors. And he did. (laughs) Thing was, uh, his paper was not making money. He lost potentially millions during the first few years of the paper being open, but he didn't tell anybody. And it was just like this really big battle between him and Pulitzer for these first few years. But in 1898, the year before the Newsboys' strike, they decided just to call a truce. The Spanish-American War was too much for everybody. It was stupid to be engaging in this when there were real issues and real news that they needed to report. So they were like, you know what? Let's just chill. And for the first time, now that they weren't doing this bullshit anymore, Hearst's newspaper began to turn a profit. Apparently people don't like being lied to. (laughs) So these were the two guys who agreed to not lower prices back to the previous amount after the war ended. So one has to wonder if this was also part of their truce, a united front of the two most powerful papers in New York. Plus they both had papers, especially Hearst actually, all across the country. These guys were like newspaper magnets. Magnates? Magnates. If they, are they, they have been new paper, they were, paper They're just constantly too. stuck to refrigerators. So they, if they prefer, uh, have this united front, obviously nobody can fight them because nobody's big enough to fight them. But back to the newsies themselves. So in the musical, you can see that they struggled to get the individual boroughs involved because they were loyal to their borough, not to the entire idea of newsies. And that's actually very true, which is why, unlike most unions, they didn't have really centralized leadership for a good while. Each borough had its own leader, even though by this time, the boroughs were pretty much just New York City. They had already, yeah. they had already been... Turned into one thing. Hello, Zumbi. Well, what's going on? But they did end up with a few standouts who began to act as their spokespeople. So let's talk about them. 
the first, which is, so Jack in Newsies, they say is kind of an amalgamation of a few people, but he is predominantly this one. His name was Louis Kid Blink Baletti. Kid Blink Bloody? Baletti. 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 Yes, like I think it's Italian. Uh, also, it's worth noting most of these kids are immigrants. Uh, largely Irish, but not entirely. How it, like rather than him being like the striking Jeremy Jordan type guy, which let's be honest, nobody is as good looking as Jeremy Jordan, except for like, I don't know, Paul Rudd. Different kind of good looking, but it's there. It's there. Yeah. Um, the papers described Kid Blink as undersized and a redhead with an eye patch. Hence, Kid Blink. <laughs> he had a few other nicknames that typically also referred to the fact that he only had one eye. But they uh, mostly called him Kid Blink, so I'm going to stick with that. Newspapers did that thing back then where they quoted people using their accents, which to this day, it kind of like, oh, nothing bothers me more when I see the word sick in newspaper, S-I-C, with the brackets, because I feel like they're mocking the person for using a word wrong or spelling. I feel like they're mocking them. Where it's like, if there's a typo in there, like if you got an, an email interview with somebody, I might see the typo, but I'm probably not going to think much of it. But if you type sick, to me, it says I am undermining the credibility of the person I'm currently interviewing. P.S. AP style, the newspaper style that is most commonly used, does not use sick anymore. Stop doing it. <clears throat> uh, this week's editing corner is brought to you by. <laughs> oh, just wait until I get into my uh, youth workers rights corner. Oh. So what he said, I'm going to say it the way that they quoted him. Friends and feller workers, this is a time which tries the hearts of men. This is the time when we've got to stick together like glue. We know what we want and we'll get it even if we are blind. I can't do New York accent, but you got the basic idea. He was the best public speaker out of all of them and actually won like a public speaking award at a rally they gave. Uh, then we have David Simmons, who Davy in the show is based on. He was the president of the union, not Kid Blink. And David Simmons was 21 at the time. He had been selling newspapers as a newsie since he was eight. Wow. So he'd been doing this for, what is that, 13 years? Something like that? Yeah. He was also a prize fighter. Get out. Yeah, he was something else. Uh, then we have Ed Racetrack Higgins. <laughs> he was the leader of the Brooklyn Union, and he would later become vice president of the General Union, which uh, Kid Blink had been before, and we'll talk about why in a minute. Uh, racetrack was charismatic and funny, like, and he was known because, called Racetrack because he liked to go to the racetrack. Um, God, I feel like we have lost the art of nicknames. We have, like, these are, I'm just going through a few of them that other people came up who had these amazing nicknames, and I was like, there's not enough time to talk about all of them. Uh, he was so charismatic and funny that after his speech at the rally that they have, the reporters who were there said that if he had been running for office, he would have won. Like, and I don't mean like a union office, I mean like president. <laughs> Uh, we have Morris Cohen, who would later become president of the union, which Davy Simmons is right now. Uh, his whole story is kind of a mystery, but Pulitzer's business manager reported that he started the whole strike. Not Kid Blink, Morris Cohen is who they say did it. And then this one, I feel like his name was just for you, Austin. Henry Butler, a.k.a. Major Butts. <laughs> Spelled like butts, like behinds. That's amazing! So he was the leader of the Manhattan Union after Kid Blink. Major Butts was arrested on July 31st, 1899 for allegedly blackmailing the New York wor world, saying he wouldn't break the strike unless they gave him $600, which is nearly $20,000 today. You do, he, was you, he was arrested for blackmailing and fraud. <laughs> that boy, he was trying to just get a buttload of money. 
And then we have Annie Kelly. Annie Kelly, who uh, was one of several female newsies who refused to break the strike. She was not the only, she was, um, girls were more likely to remain as newsies or become newsies during the strike because the boys were less likely to beat them up. Because the boys were like, you don't hit a girl. That was how it went. They, anybody else who's on papers, they would beat the shit out of, which I'll talk about here in a second more too. But Annie Kelly was viewed as the patron saint of the strike. And she would look at the other girls and be like, so do you really think it's fair that we're out, that we can make money and they can't right now? And all, she also told the reporter, do you really think I'm not making money right now? She's like, my regulars aren't buying newspapers, but they're still paying me for the newspapers. And I've got some new regulars who are pretty excited when I get back to selling them and they're, and they're paying me, paying me now. She's like, because the actual populace really supported the news, the newsboys in this. So Annie was telling the paper, it's like, yeah. I'm getting paid for papers I'm not selling. And it's not like an upfront payment. It's they're paying me anyway. Plus, I've got new people who know who I am, who are excited to have me be their newsie. So they're paying me too. Oh my God. Yeah, I guess people would like have their like favorite newsie. They'd like, they'd find it's like, hey, yeah, kid blink. What's the latest news? Give me the paper. Kind of like how I had my favorite Target employee back in high school. And I would always go through his line because this is before we had checkout lines. And then he also worked at Hot Topic. And I got really excited about that because he was super, super cute. He was really cute. (laughs) And then my boyfriend at the time met him and got real possessive. And I did not care for that. Yeah, if you're uh, you're seeing another gets possessive just because you're talking to someone working at a store, break up with them. Anyway, according to some other sources I saw, it wasn't just the newsies in New York City who were striking during this, but several other cities where they were uh, selling papers for the Hearsts or the Pulitzers, they were starting to strike too. So things were not going well for Pulitzer and Hearst. As logical as ever, instead of just lowering the prices, because the newsies basically, okay, so in the musical, they're like, don't be violent. Violence is bad. Um, Up front. In this, they were like, no, go, go beat the shit out of everybody selling the newspaper. Yeah. So... Any scabs, regardless of age, as long as they were male, the newsies would beat the shit out of them and destroy their newspapers. And some of the girls, too. But the girls mostly got off scot-free because that was, like, one of Kid Blink's rules was you don't hit the girls. That Okay, I feel like that would have also been a good movie. <laughs> okay, either our ghost is here or Zumbi just locked us in the bedroom. Zumbi just closed the door. <laughs> I know, I know. Hi, Gigi. We've got Gigi in here now. You're getting a parade, everybody. Don't you wish you could see it? Yeah. Can you hear Gigi, guys? Yeah, so their whole MO was beating the shit out of everybody and stealing their newspapers. So instead of just lowering the prices, Pulitzer and Hearst were like, okay, so we'll hire grown men who, who get paid more than the newsboys do. And we'll get, the, we'll get them police protection and pay for that as well. Instead of just, you know... Paying them more. Paying the news, like lowering the price back to 50 cents a paper. They were probably losing way more money this way just to prove a point. However, remember, these ki- these are kids who sell newspapers for a living. Their job is to be distracting and charming, which is what they did with the police. And then they beat the shit out of the guys with the newspapers. Yes. Then on July 24th, there was a rally. That was held at Irving Hall and was sponsored by State Senator Timothy D. Sullivan. And I mean sponsored, not like, oh, yeah, you can have the space because, you know, it's your legal right. It's a private space. They don't have to do it. Like, this dude sponsored them so they could have their their say. He spoke at it, too, if I remember right. This had about 5,000 Newsies from Manhattan. So if you watch the Newsies musical, they're like, we need Brooklyn. We need Brooklyn. Yeah, 2,000 were there from Brooklyn, but Manhattan was the one you wanted. 
Now, this place couldn't fit this many people, so there were some inside, some outside, but they were thousands upon thousands. And their speakers started off with local businessmen, lawyers, and politicians speaking on their behalf because they had the support of these important people in town. And then David Simmons went up to speak, the president of the union, reading the goals of the strike and telling everybody to stop fighting the, stop beating the shit out of everybody, basically. He's like, guys, I'm a prize fighter and I think you need to stop. Um, By all accounts, his speech was really boring and he was a terrible public speaker, but they did stop beating the shit out of people after that. Now, I want to point this out because I think this is just kind of important. On July 26th, they planned to host a parade with about 6,000 marchers, a band, and fireworks, but it never happened because they didn't get a permit. Oh. I'm pointing... I'm pointing that out because that's what a lot of people don't realize is to hold any kind of rally or protest, you have to have a permit. You can't just hold one. And we had a problem with that probably, what, 10 years ago now when they shut down arts funding in Kansas and they were like, we're holding a rally, we're holding a rally. And they never got the permits for it, which makes me think there were no stage managers involved with this planning committee at all. <laughs> so if you ever want to hold a rally or, or a protest, that is your right as an American, but you have to get a permit. Otherwise, you're going to get arrested. Despite all the support the Newsies were getting from important people, we have to remember that these are a lot of high poverty kids who are in charge of this. They're fighting this war by themselves for the most part. So remember how I said that we were going to be getting a new president and vice president of the union? That's because Kid Blink and David Simmons may or may not have been traitors. Oh. Um, There is more evidence for Kid than for David. (gasps) But... I actually kind of think neither of them did. So on July 27th, just three days after this big rally, a report came out saying newsboys are weakening. More and more boys began to sell papers without being harassed, and strikers apparently discovered that Kid Blink and David Simmons had gotten as much as $400 from Pulitzer and Hearst to end the strike, which is a little over $13,000 today. That alone makes me think it didn't happen, because despite how rich Pulitzer and Hearst were, that's an insane amount of money. And I feel like in general, most places wouldn't be like, I'll give you $13,000 to quietly, you know, go into this. I feel like most places wouldn't do that because they also know it would come out. It always does. Yeah. They, the, the other strikers claimed that, oh, Kid and David are out selling papers, which I feel could be pretty easy to prove. Like, why is it a question about whether or not they're doing it? The only proof they were able to find is that Kid had some new clothes. Um, they even like brought David Simmons up on stage at some place and made him like turn out all of his pockets to prove he had nothing. So they both completely denied the charges against them and stepped down from their posts. They were, but they were given other posts. David Simmons became treasurer and Kid Blink became some other position that I didn't really understand. But people were pretty sure that Kid Simmons had, or not Kid, uh, Kid Blink had done it. To the point where he got chased through the streets by kind of a small mob of angry strikers slash newsboys. And the police saw this. And arrested Kid Blink for causing a public disturbance because he thought he was leading them, not that he was being chased. And as he got out of jail, the newsboys were jeering at him and laughing at him. Now, without Kid Blink's charismatic leadership, things started to fall apart even more. But the strike didn't end. They're just, they just weren't as into it anymore. Then, though, on August 2nd, the Pulitzer and Hearst papers got tired of dealing with this. So they came and offered this compromise. So the original intention was to lower the price from 60 cents to 50 cents per 100 papers, which the other newspapers had already done. Pulitzer and Hearst instead said, okay, we're not going to do that. We'll buy back any papers you don't sell at the end of the day. So unlike the musical where there's like two different things that happen, that's all that happens is they say, we'll buy back anything you don't sell at the end of the day. And they agreed to it. And that's how the strike ended. 
which frankly to me is just as exciting of an ending as what was in the musical. Like, I don't understand why they had to do more than one thing, especially because like... They had to wrap up all those loose ends. This this does wrap up the loose ends. So those terms were agreed to. The instead of, They still played 60 cents, but they got their the extras bought back and they went back to selling papers. This did inspire future strikes all across the country. This also, of course, wasn't the first newsboy strike in New York City. Turns out kids are capable of doing math and they know when they're being screwed. As happened in the 1883 uh, Brooklyn Newsies strike. Basically... They discovered that one newspaper was being sold at different prices in different parts of the city. Oh. Um, and so different parts of the city, people were making different amounts of money for selling the papers. And they were like, we're doing just as much fucking work. So they struck that. Now, during all of this, before and after, there were people who looked at this and thought there wasn't anything cute about this. Like, this is child labor. And there have always been people who were against it. But even as more and more laws were passed to, like, get adult and child labor in better check, the Newsies have always been kind of left out of the negotiations. Despite the fact that the Newsboy Union, which has now expanded into other things as well, but despite the fact that they are, like, one of the longest running and most strike-happy unions in existence, they were left out of a lot of the conversations. So even when child labor stuff was going on, they were like, don't talk about the Newsies, we still need them. Because they were getting paid significantly less than the adults. If you put an adult in that role, you paid them more. That is true even as recently as 2009, which is the most recent thing I could find for this. Do what? Now uh, what? 2009. Mm-hmm. 2009 so, CE. <laughs> yes. Um, so they always made sure to keep the Newsies under minimum wage, for instance. Uh, according to John Beckin who writes about strikes for a living. In 2009, child news carriers made 20 to 30% the price of a newspaper, while adults made about 40% the price of a newspaper for each one that they sold. Although the adults did need to provide a vehicle. Most of the time. Most of the time. Well, the kids need to provide a bicycle. That's like a vehicle. Mm -hmm. And that's the thing, too. It's... And most... Like, nowadays, you see newspaper delivery. First of all, what decade are you living in? But secondly, it usually is some dude in a van that has a label on it for the newspaper, so it's, but it's not a kid. There are still newspaper delivery kids, though. It still happens, and it's not a bad job, all things considered. But they are paid literally half what the adults are paid, which is ridiculous when you think about it, too, because adults can deliver so much more. Yeah. And I didn't write this down because I couldn't find a whole lot about it, but the most recent newsboy strike was in San Jose, California in the year 2000. Okay. There was also a strike that involved the newsboys around that same time, but it was, or even more recently, but it was basically everybody who worked for this newspaper said, fuck you and left. Uh, this is the kind of thing that happens, guys. When you're a kid with a job, and I don't mean like a babysitter or something like where you're setting your own wages. I'm talking about you go to a place, you are employed by somebody who takes taxes out of your paycheck, that kind of job. Here's my advice to you, because you know, I always have advice. Listen to Miss Maddie. When you get to work, write down the exact time you clocked in. When you leave work, write down the exact time you clocked out. And I mean to the minute. Even if you if you worked late, if you left work early, if you arrived late, whatever it is, write all of this down. Know the exact amount that you are supposed to be getting paid for at per hour. Keep this in a spreadsheet. That way, when your boss illegally makes you work 12-hour days, six days a week, and pays you zero overtime, you can go in with your spreadsheet and say, hey, I'm pretty sure I'm supposed to be getting paid for all of these hours. (laughs) 
and they can look at you with an oh shit look on their face and then pay you all the back pay you owe them in hopes that you won't sue them. Not that I've ever had to do that at my first job when I was 16. What? You? No, never. Yeah, here's the thing. Uh, You have rights, even if you are under the age of 18. No matter how old you are, you have rights. So whatever state you're in, if you get a job, make sure you understand your rights as an employee, whether you're, you know, in some places you can work at the age of 14, like bagging groceries, whether you're 18, whether you're 30, make sure you know your rights as a worker and take care of yourself. But that's especially true if you are under the age of 18, because they will think that you don't know enough to fight for yourself. And chances are you don't. And that's not your fault because nobody's ever taught us. Austin and I have been working for 20 years. Dear Lord, we've had jobs for over 20 years, both of us. Yes. And we're still figuring out what our rights are. So when you get your first job, make sure you know what your rights are. Don't be, don't let people treat you badly and don't let yourself get screwed just because you're a kid. Also, know what hours you're allowed to work because they're not supposed to let you work 12-hour shifts as a 16-year-old. All right. So I'm just going to wrap it up with this. There's so much more I could have gone into. The entire history of like, the newsboy thing is fascinating. So a lot of history looks cute when we reflect upon it. Like newsboys and newsgirls sitting on the street with their little yelling extra, extra, and we imagine them going to home and going to school and having this just be their little fun job. When you look at history and if something seems too nice and cute, that's when you need to look into it further. Once in a while, you'll look out. Once in a while, you'll have a Mr. Rogers in there who genuinely was that person. Or um, Walter Bob Ross. Bob, Walter Mondale, who yeah. I talked about in a previous episode, who seems to be exactly who he said he was. Uh, he died recently, I feel yeah, like. Yeah, this year. Um, once in a while, it does happen. But if something seems too good to be true, it probably was. And that is the kind of thing that they don't teach you in school. That is the Newsboy Strike of 1899. Wow. So, okay, I feel like Newsies would have been better if they had decided, hey, let's beat the crap out of these kids. Well, they did say let's beat the crap out of these kids, except it was the adults beating the crap out of the kids. Yeah. I was, it's like, just kids fighting kids. That's... Are you saying that you want to start a children's fight club? I mean, I did once, and that's why I'm not allowed to babysit anymore. <laughs> I thought you were going to say only if it was that kid that was driving us crazy during the show. Oh, please, she wouldn't last a minute in a children's fight club. I would um, be entertained. She walks on all fours while staring at you. She'll win by default, because she is scary. I don't think so, man. Please, please, like you know, one of those, one of those big, tough, like you know, Texas kids, or like one of those, like far, those farm kids. They're like you know, five hundred pounds and six feet tall at the age of two. Like they'd take her down. Is that what you were like when you were a farm kid at the age of two, five hundred pounds and six feet tall? No, no, <laughs> I didn't. I, I don't think I was over five feet tall until high school. <laughs> for some questions i am ready for questions all right so these are questions uh would they be on the test i'm not looking for the answers so newsboys could be any age or gender yeah that should be on the test the leaders of the 1899 newsy strike were accused of betraying the strike yeah that'll be on the test there have been dozens upon dozens of newsy strikes even up through the current century no because we can't tell kids about unions question everything always it should be on the test and it'll depend on the teacher. All right. So that is the Newsboy Strike of 1889. I'm very sorry to tell you Austin will not be doing his segment because our cat is asleep on his notebook. Um, I just moved the cat. How very dare you. Come here, Gigi. Someone loves you. Oh, my notebook is so warm now. Come here, Gigi. Oh, she's a very sweet cat. She is very soft. So I'm going to do my topic now. And so like a friend of mine just moved and I'm kind of sad about it. And I'm super going to miss her. Like, you know, she was a great person. But You're talking about her 
like she's dead. She was a great person now that she's gone, though. Yeah, and so she's moved. Uh, she's at a new college. Uh, she is at the University of... Why do you cover my face? <laughs> do, do, you, do you think she wants people to know where to find her? Oh, wait, they'll never be able to find her there. Well, she's going to have to... They're going to have to know what university she's at, because I'm talking about a building in it. I'm talking about the... Uh, the uh, University of Wisconsin in Madison. People need to know where she is so they can help her get out. <laughs> <laughs> you you joke, but it's true. Wait, is it? Th- remember when I told you about like? Oh God, what's it called? The uh, the back room, back door, whatever it was. The uh, one where you open the door yeah. gateway and get to the other universe. It sounds a lot like what you're about to talk about today. But again, it's not all bad news that she's gone because uh, she gave me an idea for a podcast episode, completely by mistake, because she got lost in the humanities building. Oh, the humanity. Yeah. Um, here are some um, quoted messages from her roughly an hour wandering around this building trying trying to find the practice rooms. Does she listen to the podcast? Yes, she does. Oh, God. <laughs> so uh, it starts off with, where the fuck are the doors? Because the doors are hidden. Uh, I walked in a door with a music department poster, and the entire floor was just a hallway connecting two parking garages. Is that not what a music department looks like? Was I doing music wrong the whole time? Then I'm outside. That door locked and all these doors are locked and I'm in a courtyard and I can't get back inside. That happened to me once when I was eight and my teacher knew I was out there and wouldn't let me back in and then yelled at me when another teacher let me in. I found a bat, you guys. Like a baseball bat or an animal? Like an animal. It was just clinging to the side of the building. It was real cute. She sent us a picture. That's awesome. Uh, Outside again. I'm on the street, but I didn't go down any stairs. <laughs> Wasn't she on like the fifth floor at that point? Yeah, she'd been like she'd been a few floors up, and then suddenly she's on the street at ground level. <laughs> Wait, that's a room? How do you get into that? It was basically like this concrete pillar that looked like it was like for a walkway or something. But there's no doors, and there's just a window cut into it randomly, and like apparently it was a classroom. She just couldn't see a way to get into this classroom. I Other mean, than, like, scaling a wall. If you ask me, this sounds like how we build most schools these days. Yep. I hear a trombone. Is that where I need to go? <laughs> no, never follow the trombone. It is always a trick. Does the production staff of Stranger Things know about this place? <laughs> and then there was just a series of pictures of just stark concrete and just it it looks bad. <laughs> Uh, the trombone player is also lost and could not find the practice rooms. Wait, he was just morosely playing the trombone. Yeah, he was just he playing lost? the trombone because he was lost. <laughs> is that what trombone players do when they're lost? I mean, the, I mean, what better noise to accompany being lost than the sad trombone? Bagpipes. That's for wandering the moors. When I was in college, we had a bagpipist, bagpiper, uh, who was in one of the dorms. And when he wanted to practice, he would actually walk across campus practicing when he went from class to class. And... He would also go stand in the middle. The dorms were kind of in a circle, the buildings were. And he would stand in the middle, wearing his kilt and just playing his bagpipes. And he was, he was really good. He was, uh, I, I know this will shock you, he was a theater major. <laughs> yep. Uh, this sign just says balcony. I thought I was in the basement. <laughs> uh, there's a fucking delivery robot. I'm outside again. <laughs> uh, she finally found the right stairway it was on, like, the fourth floor, and it went down to the basement, where the practice rooms were. So, yeah, I was intrigued and wanted to see the floor plan, because this sounded like a trip. This seems like they should have provided a map. 
Oh, they provided instructions. And I'm going to get into some stuff about this building. And the first article I found was uh, the University of Wisconsin Humanity Buildings. What went wrong? Oh, God. The second was, is it really a riot-proof bunker designed to keep protesters from assembling? I mean, every place I build is. And the third was just called, Oh, the Humanities. Hey, I got it. You got it. You could be a journalist. I mean, I who knew the AP style information earlier? That's true. Oh, now here's a question though. If you want to be a journalist, you have to be okay with um, just taking advantage of children and like making them work for pennies on the dollar. Are you okay with that? Austin, I used to run children's theater programs where they paid me to make them perform. Oh, perfect. You are ready <laughs> for this world. Oh my God. I miss my kids so much. But so anyway, after I read those articles, I was really intrigued and decided I'm going to research this for the podcast. And well, let's just start off with a little about the building itself. It is the George L. Moss Humanity Building. It's a largely concrete seven-story building that covers about a block and was designed by the architect Harry Weiss, who also designed the Washington, D.C., like, subway stations. Huh. Yeah. That doesn't seem like a transferable skill set. Oh, he tried. He designed a lot of things. He actually designed a couple of buildings in Kansas City, too. Like, he mostly worked in, like, the Midwest and around Chicago. Huh. Yeah. But Kansas City is not... Okay. I, I'm going to put this out there. Kansas City, not an attractive city. Saying nope. that as a uh, person who's lived here for about half my life. Well, we're going to get into his architectural style, which is going to make you angry. Also lived in D.C. for a bit. Not the most attractive subway stations. Nope. It's efficient. All yeah. of these are efficient, except for whatever happened here. And so this building was envisioned as a unified space for the music, art, and history departments back in the 60s. Zumbi shut the door again. <laughs> Yeah. Oh, guys, we didn't clarify this. We might sound different this week because it is a billion degrees again. So we're recording in the bedroom and the cats are slamming the doors. And they really needed this extra space because the history department was scattered all over the campus. Uh, The music spaces had horrible acoustics and bad soundproofing. And the arts departments had all outgrown their spaces and were super overcrowded and they needed more room. So were they fighting it? They were getting there. And then they decided, you know what? We're just going to make a big beautiful humanities building for everyone. And it was going to have practice spaces in the basement that were going to be soundproofed and kind of away from everybody. Uh, Then on the first two floors, they're going to have lecture halls, classrooms, and performance spaces that were easily accessible from like ground levels and parking garages. Uh, Then they're going to have offices in the middle and then art spaces on the top floors to benefit from uh, plentiful natural light. I mean, there is a lot of evidence that educational, like, education has to happen in sunny rooms for it to be truly effective, um, which is why it's a real problem that our schools look like prisons and don't have windows. Yeah. Uh, but you don't need natural light to do art. What if you're doing a very specific kind of performance? Or, or what if you're trying to do theater and need theater lights and this light is fucking with you? Luckily, there are, there were performance spaces, too. So they were, they had, they had it covered. They thought it was a great idea. Uh, the history department was kind of mad about it because, uh... I'm paraphrasing, but it's like, we don't mind finished music, but we have a problem with unfinished music. So they didn't want to hear the music being like, you know, practiced because it's like, this is awful. We're trying to learn. We're historians. We're very serious. Do they know that history isn't done yet? No, it's not done. Although, okay, when I was in college, I was a theater major and our building was shared with the computer science department. And... The official reason is that we were the two groups most likely to be on campus late at night. You know, computer people up all night doing their thing, theater people up all night doing their thing. 
We think a big part of it, though, was they thought that the computer guys and the theater people would never want to associate with each other, like, because the disciplines are so different and, you know, theater people are so loud and flamboyant and the computer people are so reserved and nerdy. There was a lot of um, potential baby making happening between the groups and stuff. <laughs> Wait, you're saying a, a predominantly male group and a predominantly female group um, just totally got it on? Yeah, isn't that shocking? Weird. Although my RA was from the computer department and he was creepy as shit. Yeah. So anyway, they finished construction of this building in 1969. And let's get into the problems. Uh, first of all, the building was in the brutalist style, which is from the French béton brut, meaning raw concrete. Now, you may recognize these buildings. They are the large, blocky, uh, poured concrete buildings. Uh, they kind of look like bunkers or... Did you look at Boston City Hall like I told you to? Yeah, Boston is that, is City Hall is? is the brutalist style. It was Ugh. super popular in the 50s and 60s and uh, and started declining in the 70s because it was unwelcoming and inhuman. Yeah, y'all look up pictures of Boston to see how beautiful it is and then look up Boston City Hall and be sad. Yeah. Anyway, this building, it's uh, it looks like some like severe former Soviet bloc defense department building it's just big and concrete and square and it's big authoritarian looking like imposing monumental structure was not very popular with universities because this was like at the peak of the counterculture like anti-vietnam war protests and they didn't like it the students didn't like it at all the staff didn't like it at all no and uh interestingly uh, these protests that were going on at the time this was finished is part of why the rumors that it was a riot-proof bunker got started. Because uh, the admin were concerned about student protests and police and National Guard just, you know, having to break up protests on college campuses was fairly commonplace. I mean, this opened about a year before there was the Kent State Massacre. It also looks a lot like a bunker. You know, I had a professor who went to Kent State the year after the massacre, um, was her freshman year. She had a four-person room, a four person suite to herself that year, she said. Yeah, I was reading a book about it. The students that stayed there joked that it's like, yeah, I f we feel like there were more FBI informants than students that year. Yeah, she had a, a four-person suite all to herself in her freshman year dorm. Wow. <sighs> the second reason it got bad was budget cuts. Because when they were taking bids, before they even started construction, it was already $1.9 million over budget. So cuts had to be made. Uh, they decided to keep it with unfinished concrete interiors. Oh, God. So it looked like a basement. Wait, it's an, it's an arts department, though. They can paint it. Yeah, exactly. Uh, maybe you artists should just paint this building yourselves. Um, honestly, I would, though. I'd be out yeah. there with my fucking paintbrush. Come here, baby. Uh, they used thinner concrete instead of thicker concrete. They uh, used single pane windows, which, by the way, this is when Wisconsin, where winter is severe. Yeah, I was just thinking about our single pane windows and how they're breaking. Yeah. And also, like, you have a music department. You need double pane oh, windows. Oh, yes, you do. Uh, the soundproofing they were promised disappeared. Sorry, our cat has now decided that she needs to get into everything. She doesn't actually normally do this either. I feel like she just wants to uh, be a problem because we're trying to record a podcast. She says, hello, I am Zumbie, and I am mad because there is a machine getting attention and not Zumbie. And again, uh, they they, uh, they decided to go with a lower quality HVAC system, which again... Never do that. Wisconsin. Don't on the HVAC. Wisconsin. And there was a courtyard they had planned with a big reflecting pool that was going in the middle of it all. 
Well, it just got turned into a gravel pit because they couldn't afford to actually have like this big fancy courtyard. And I saw pictures of this courtyard. It's just concrete and rocks and there's like not even seating. It's just like an open area. Although, Mr. Don't Water Your Lawn, isn't that better than having a nice courtyard up there? It is, but you know what? There's also native plants that grow in Wisconsin that don't need watering. Wisconsin has no plants. Too cold. It's got plants. Like trees and Sasquatch bushes and Wendigos. (laughs) And of course, uh, the school did have an option that would have saved them about $350,000. In which they in, they just change it from having like the limestone cladding that's on the outside to a uh, brick exterior. It would not a brick, of, uh, but they wanted it to match the other buildings, and they would be damned before they would have Ohio brick on their buildings. Football rivalries are real, y'all. Isn't it Michigan versus Ohio though? Wisconsin, apparently, Wisconsin doesn't like Ohio either. Nobody. Has anybody told Ohio that they're in a rivalry with Wisconsin? I don't think anybody likes okay, Ohio. Legit. Um, one of my like OCD things is naming all fifty states when I wash my hands, and I am convinced Wisconsin doesn't exist because that is the one I always skip. <laughs> I mean, I know. Do you have proof that she is in Wisconsin? No, I have. Okay, I don't think I've even been to Wisconsin. I've only looked at Wisconsin. Wait, no, no, I have been to Wisconsin. Never mind. Driving through something doesn't count. It could always be Indiana. Everything could be Indiana. And of course, they also made some changes to the layout to like, you know, make cuts to the budget. And they didn't really consult the architect on it. They decided, yeah, we can put a wall here or we can move this classroom here or we can change this up. (laughs) The result you get is the place is a labyrinth. And I'm not joking. That's the nickname the students have given this building. It's the labyrinth. I'm telling you, this is where like that thing I was talking about, the back... The backdoor theory, the backroom theory. I can't remember which one it was called, but I was going on about it on a podcast episode a while back. You get through the door and you end up in what looks like the back room of a retail store and you just keep going down hallways and opening doors and ending up outside, inside. That's what this is. You're just in Wisconsin, guys. That's a fate worse than death. Austin's a Minnesotan. So. Yeah. And, uh, and students have literally been lost in this building since the day it opened. The quotes they got from students about like you know the grand opening of this building and starting classes on it are... I got lost. I was 10 minutes late. How the hell are you supposed to find your way around this building? And uh, again, because in parts of it, like parts of the building on the same floor aren't connected. You have to go upstairs or downstairs to get to other parts of the building on the same floor. Uh, There are stairways that skip entire levels. This is such a fire hazard and a series of ADA violations. And at times, and as things changed, the room numbers didn't follow a pattern. Oh, our high school was like that, remember? Yeah, same thing here. And easy to get lost, and everything looks the same because it's all just unfinished concrete. So it's just, it's a maze. And they literally, students are told in orientation to schedule about an extra 10 minutes to uh, just to plan on getting lost if you have classes in this building. It's like, you're just going to get lost. And it's also falling apart because it's really... Now, you know, 50 years later, it's starting to show just how much they skimped on construction costs. Uh, Firstly, the bad HVAC has been a serious problem. What? Bad HVAC going wrong? I've never heard of such a thing. The arts departments use lots of things with chemicals and smells and stuff that, like, you know, has lots of volatile hydrocarbons in it. Yeah, guys, uh, art is science. And it was an immediate problem. And there were some lawsuits about, like, you know, the air quality in there. And they eventually uh-huh. had, to, they had to do something to fix it. And they never really fixed it. I had to have surgery to fix an HVAC problem. Yeah. The, I, the HVAC problem wasn't fixed because of the surgery. But 
the um the single pane windows actually start to form layers of ice on the inside. They you, still have single pane windows? Yeah. It's the same ones? I don't know. But yeah, these windows formed ice. And also it's because uh parts of the HVAC on the upper levels broke in the 70s and they have been unable to fix it. Unable or unwilling? I think it's a bit of both because it's poured concrete and to fix it would be prohibitively expensive. See, that always bothers me when this is not the type of thing that's un- that's not priorities that prioritized at colleges or K through 12 schools. It's like you're if you're K through 12, if you're a public college, you get all this money in taxes. If you're a college, you also get tuition money. Maybe don't pay your football coach a million dollars a year and maybe instead and instead fix your HVAC so your kids don't get pneumonia. And the ice gets worse on all these floors because of all of the humidifiers they have to keep the musical instruments in good shape. Yep. And then that ice melts and causes water damage on the inside, which has been really bad for the concrete and the rebar in the concrete. And mold. And mold. It also gets really cold. I mean, there's literally ice forming in this place. Uh-huh. I've worked and in schools like, like that. And, like, teachers will actually have multiple rugs on their floor just to keep their feet from getting cold. Like, there's, I think, just about every place has one or two space heaters in it. Mm-hmm. In their offices, just, you know, because it's cold. I worked at a school once that didn't have working heat and... But I did have a lot of windows and it was cold enough that I had to wear my parka while I taught, but my students were all in uniforms, which had short sleeves. I got in so much trouble for letting them wear their coats during class. And I was like, you can't learn if you're cold. I Can you see like, I, 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 I take stands on things. Yes, she does. <laughs> the roof also leaks and has leaked since it opened. And of course, the soundproofing wasn't. It just wasn't. And the concrete is deteriorating. Uh, The rebar is actually starting to show in some parts. There was a walkway that actually had to be demolished in 2015 because of disrepair. And also because people just didn't use it because it was in a weird place and a bad layout. So they just got rid of this walkway that was falling apart. Now, the building is mostly hated by students and faculty. There are some diehard fans of it who really like the brutalist style or think... Well, you know, if we just label things better or had, like, you know, better markings, people would be able to find their way around. It's not that bad. I mean, that would be really helpful unless you're somebody with any kind of disability. Yeah. But you can say, I have the very little argument, that this building has failed its purpose. The, uh, <laughs> kind of the like arts house. department is overcrowded again, but this time they have temperature control problems. The music department does not have a great space uh, and get lost for an hour trying to find the practice rooms. And history is trying to escape this building and are spreading themselves all over the campus again. <laughs> so actually, the entire the idea that the concept of history is trying to get history out of history is getting out. It's leaking history over. History wants nothing to do with this. I think there's a Doctor Who episode. History is trying to escape. I would like to be left out of this narrative. <laughs> and it's way too expensive to get it up to a modern standard. Uh, one estimate showed to get it re- renovated, repaired, and remodeled. And with necessary maintenance, it would cost about $13 million. So about how much I owe in student loans. Yeah. So you single-handedly could pay for this. No, I can't. That's the problem. (laughs) So uh, Wisconsin has decided that they're just going to... They're floating plans to demolish and replace it. Actually, that would probably be the best option. Much cheaper. And ironically, uh, demolition will not be easy because it actually is built like a bunker going to be very hard to tear this building down the theater kids will have the whole set struck in about an hour and a half just give them some hammers 
it is scheduled for demolition. So by the theater kids, by the theater kids, just like they've, they've got, they've all got screwdrivers and hammers and it's coming down. Hey, there was this one time in high school where we, because someone's orchestra department had to have a concert in the middle of one of our shows. We scheduled that at the start of the year. We had our schedule before the start of the year. And see, that's where the problem was because we had that one that one assistant principal who did this purposefully. It like I don't think either of our departments blamed the other. But we had to strike the set and then rebuild it because of an orchestra concert. We did always feel like you guys should have had to help. We probably should. Okay. I mean, you think we should have helped, but I was in the orchestra. Well, no, you did not want the orchestra people helping with anything at all. Some of you could have helped. Some of us could have helped. But, oh God, like one of like the smug Boy Scouts would have been awful. You would have murdered one of them. Uh, yeah, Austin, we had the smuggest Boy Scout of them all in the theater department. Remember? Oh yeah. But this would have been like having two more of them. So just a one that was of normal height? <laughs> one was of abnormal height. He was very tall. So, so it was like, oh my God, it would have been, been like the large, medium, and lar- uh, <laughs> large, medium, and small. They'd be like the Russian nesting dolls. Ugh, don't talk about Hanson that way. Mmm, bop. Oh, and a final rumor about this place, because I couldn't find a good place to stick it in, but I just had to talk about it. Oh, no. There was a rumor, a rumor, that the place was actually built upside down, which oh is why God. it's so confusing. That's amazing. And the architect was so upset, he flung himself off of the roof and died and haunts the building. He couldn't have flung himself off the roof and died. He would have flung himself off the basement. And died. Well, first of okay, all... Okay, no, oh, but you, it's not an arts department if it's not haunted. It has to be haunted. And especially while it's a labyrinth, that place is haunted. I don't know who's haunted by, but it's haunted. There's a minotaur. Yeah, it's not, it's not a ghost. It's gonna have a ghost. You can have ghost minotaurs. You, I guess you can, but you can't have an arts department without at least one ghost. You know this. I know this. Every arts person knows this. Well, anyway, uh, to dispel this rumor, first of all, the roof of this building is on top, so that's not true. So it's not upside down. Okay, well, if you put, if you, like, if I turned my dollhouse upside down and declared the base of it the roof, I wouldn't be wrong because it is still on top. And second of all, it's got, like, two floors of it are small, so if those were the bottom floors, it would just tip over. Yeah, it doesn't sound like a whole lot of other things were planned very well, so. And second of all, the architect, Harry Weiss, died in 1998 in Illinois, so he must have had one hell of a jump off of that building. If he died in Illinois. Well, Wisconsin doesn't exist, so maybe he was in Illinois the whole time. Maybe he fell into a wormhole. That is Wisconsin. A wormhole? Wormhole. Like the ones inside the building? Ooh. Maybe there are wormholes that just lead you to there, and you're just trapped. The whole place, but just a bunch, bunch of series of war, war, wormholes. Wormholes. And, of course, a, a little thing I didn't get to. She said the picture of it. There's a spot where there's the walls, and there's just this hole. In the walls, it looks like a crawl space that goes on in an indeterminate length. Wait, are we talking about like a, oh god, what is that movie I'm thinking of? A uh, break out of prison behind the poster situation? Maybe. The uh, a Shawshank Redemption. There we go. Yeah, I was, gonna, like, I was gonna say Schindler's List. I'm like, that is not oh, that was... <laughs> So yeah, that was this w- weird fucking building. Yeah, it's just like, it's got weird holes, you get lost, nothing makes sense, it's ugly as all get out. Okay, I'm telling you, this is a different universe. This is not our universe. And it also, it sounds like this building and how it works is just, there's all these buildings built in the 50s and 60s that are exactly like it. 
that we just can't get rid of because they're made of concrete and they're not falling apart fast enough. Yeah, like Boston City Hall, you said, was one of them, which I'm not surprised by. And I would imagine um, the Watergate building probably is too. Yeah. A lot of D.C. is really like, when you look at pictures of D.C. and you see all these things, you're seeing, you know, the National Mall. You're seeing the places that are touristy. You look at D.C. itself, it is it is brick bunkers. Yeah. It is, it, and beautiful houses, but brick bunkers, probably with brick the beautiful houses probably have brick bunkers beneath them. So, I mean, it's even called brutalist. Like, they knew. They knew that this is ugly. Ugly. All right. Are you ready for questions? Is purposefully building something that you know to be ugly and calling it beautiful Dadaism? No, because that has purpose. But a urinal has purpose. Not when it's on its side. Depends on how well you aim. Oh. Is he saying Duchamp had that good of a name? Yeah. He could hit that bullseye? I think so. All right. So, are you ready for questions? Yes. Alright. Will the fact that it isn't actually a bunker be on the test? No. Will the fact that, man, they couldn't have designed a better bunker to make get, help students get lost and not be able to assemble if they had tried be on the test? I don't understand the question. It's like, it's like if it wasn't intended to be this, they succeeded in making it this. Uh, will the fact that they tell you to plan on getting to plan on time for being lost be on the test? That's part of student orientation. Yeah. Will the fact that the history department has escaped be on the test? Okay, I know you don't listen to Welcome to Night Vale, but to me, I'm thinking about the librarians escaping. <laughs> um, you don't want the librarians to escape in Welcome to Night Vale, and I would assume you don't want the history department to escape. Oh, yeah. Uh, by the way, the same architect also designed, I think, a, lab- a library at one of the Boston colleges. I only ever was inside one Boston college, and it was the yeah. one I attended, which... The one I attended had the had TV show sets inside of it, like actual TV show sets, Ooh. because our graduates were uh, created these TV shows. Uh, we had the Will and Grace set, Ooh. if I remember right. Yeah, Will, the Will and Grace set was in the middle of our library. You could not sit in it. It was in a glass case. Aww. And they brought it back for the revival. Um, yeah. Henry, Henry Winkler also would come, but I never got to see him. Wait, Henry Winkler was an exhibit in the... Yeah, it's weird. Like, he just is like one of those living statues. You walk past, all of a sudden Henry Winkler grabs you, won't give you back until someone pays him a dollar. It's a whole thing. Wow. And will the fact that this might be the only building more poorly constructed and designed than our house be on the test? <laughs> our house should be on a test for architects. It's like, all right, guys. Or at least not, not necessarily architects. Actually, the house itself, with the exception of our wall of dead bodies, is not designed poorly it's and the first floor is not built poorly but all repairs on the building of the second floor belong on some kind of test or at least as some kind of warning Warning. dude our house when we die we should donate it to a fire department to use as one of those like test houses and we'll make sure we cut a hole into that wall of dead bodies and then we and they have to get in there and try to find the kid that's hiding in there before they get out yeah. We've got a really good test house for this. We do. Still need to break into that wall. We do. Someday. Someday we will. Well, I mean, if you're going to start playing D&D every Saturday night, I might have to go do it without you. Oh, God. <laughs> we got to put the floor in first, though. We do. Yeah, guys, our house is a mess. It's very bad. And I don't mean, like, unkempt. I mean, I mean, it is a hot mess. I mean, like, everything here is just... Don't buy a house. Don't buy a house, kids. Like, I was, I was actually talking about this with... Some of my family members yesterday, and it was basically, you know, price of rent may be going up, but at least maintenance is already built in. Yeah. Ugh. Austin, you talked 
longer than I did, I think, this time. I don't think so. Well, we talked about 10 minutes at the beginning, and then I ended mine at 45. Oh, wow. Actually, you ended it closer to 50. Yeah, because you wouldn't stop talking. Yeah. All right. So where can people find us? Well, on Wednesday, August 18th, they can find us guesting on the show Mythstory, M-Y-T-H-S-T-O-R-I-E, which you should give them a listen now anyway. They're fabulous. Give them that five-star review on Amazon as well. Or not Amazon. I mean, if give you can, them one on Amazon, If you too. can find a way to do it. I'm sure they're on Audible. We're on Audible. They're on, yeah. Uh, and they're on YouTube, too, which is pretty cool. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah you'll, you'll actually you you'll might see, see our faces you'll if see you us. do it. And you can't tell, but we're both wearing encrypted shirts as well. Yeah. Uh, he's wearing a Bigfoot one, and I'm wearing a Kraken one. So that's Mythstory on the 18th, and then I'll be on Story Shout on the 25th. So those are the two, those are the first two places you can find us. And then, of course, you can find us on Twitter, at OnTheTestPod, on Facebook, at Facebook.com, slash OnTheTestPod, on Instagram, at OnTheTestPod, and our website, on the testpod.com. And make sure you don't confuse us with any other podcasts with similar uh, handles or titles. We are the ones, and you're listening to us now, so you probably know this, but we are the ones that are facepalming, and we were here first. We <laughs> Well, were. technically second, but the other one hasn't, hasn't recorded in years. So <laughs> they came out like the day before us. It was a problem. Um, yeah, so... Rate, review, subscribe, tell your friends, tell your enemies. If you really like want, if you don't like us, tell your enemies. Maybe they'll like us and you can think you're punishing them while they really get to enjoy us. Be cool. Be nice to each other. Um, and as usual, I'm hungry, so we got to go. All right. So on that note, class, class dismissed. dismissed.